Hello, and welcome to the first ever edition of the Lars Resort, a podcast with me, Lars Stevenson, presented by Betson. Now, why is this happening to my ears and brain, I hear you ask? How about the music, by the way? Intro music. Delightful. Um, and the, the simple reason is that for the last couple of years, I, I've been recording a one-man pod with, with occasional guests. It's, it's, been, it's been in Norwegian, but we, we figured we tried to go international with it. You know, like like all those Scandi Noirs that, that got foreign remakes. Yeah, except, except this one is obviously going to be much better than the, than the original, which wasn't quite the case with some of the Scandi Noirs. I, I thought, you know, the American version of The Killing was quite good, quite moody. And, and, and much like the American version of The Killing, this podcast will, of course, as you know, feature a, a Scandinavian man with a slightly mysterious accent of, of dubious origin. I think Joel Kinnaman's good in the killing. Anyway, sidetrack. Um, the concept is simple. This is, as the title would suggest, it is my resource. I, I will do whatever I want in this pod. Uh, I'll pick subjects from the football that I'd like to talk about. Maybe maybe look behind the headlines a little bit sometimes. Uh, maybe stare straight at them. Uh, stare at the abyss until it stares back at me. Dabble with some stats, maybe very gentle dabbling with the stats. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into that. There are people who know that stuff better than I do. Um, and I'll have guests occasionally to help me out. Uh, listener questions are good. I like listener questions because they mean I don't have to pick subjects. So I'm kind of lazy, uh, as you might know. So, so do send me a tweet or a DM at Lars Severson on Twitter if you want to. Um, there are a couple of things I haven't made up my mind about yet, such as, uh, well, just how partridge are we going to go with the resort concept? I like, I like, listen, the Lars Resort is a fine title for a podcast. It is both a slightly rubbish pun and a good uh, description of, of what it is, but I'm very tempted to. Should we, like, should we put stuff in the resort? Like, metaphysical stuff? Should we have a resort band? Are we, are we putting Glen Ponda and Chalet in the back air? I don't know. Maybe I can... So this is one thing I've got. Maybe we should ask, whenever I have a guest on, we can ask them to add one feature to the resort. What do you want to have in the resort, Mr. Guest? I feel like with guests I know, that could work. But if I ever have, like, more serious, even famous, like, football guests, I mean, that could go really, really badly wrong. Uh, we'll see. We'll stick that on the maybe pile. We might have to sort of adapt to uh, circumstances. Now, Norwegian listeners who are migrating over from the old pod, welcome, guys. Thanks, thanks for coming along. Uh, they will know that I usually have a minute or two of a very mundane chat in the beginning, often to do with either the weather or my dog. Or more recently, this, this is a very action-packed recovery from breaking my leg last summer. Uh, but, but since I've now spent some time introducing the pod as a concept, I'm not going to have a big sort of dog news or anything like that. I'll just say, the leg is better. The leg is better. I can walk the dog alone again now, which is pretty cool. Uh, amazing scenes down the park as I'm strutting about, or still hobbling, but, you know, huge improvement in my sort of overall quality of life. As you can imagine, anyway, anyway football, uh, you're probably listening to this on or just after transfer deadline day. And, and, and there will be a time for transfer chat here at the Lars Resort. Maybe we'll install a transfer tavern or something in the resort. But, but since the window hasn't closed yet, just yet, I'm recording this on Monday night. Uh, let's just go in a different direction with the first episode. And, and let's, have, uh, let's have a look at, at Everton, because they've appointed Sean Dyche. 
they've 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 been diced, uh, which which is exciting. Um, or at least it's a thing. It's a thing that's happened, and I'd like to have a chat about it. Um, and, and I think firstly, we must salute Everton uh, for for services towards chaos. I think by by ending up with a short list of two. And for those two to be Marcello Bielsa and Sean Dice. Just amazing scenes. I, I'd like to think there's no other club in the world, no other owner in the world who would ever get into a position where there's two managers we're really looking at, and it's Sean Dice and Marcello Bielsa. I mean, they've got nothing. I mean, it's, if nothing else, that proves beyond any sort of reasonable doubt that uh, there's no <laughs> singular coherent vision or strategy at this football club. And it shouldn't really surprise us since Farad Morshiri bought the club in 2016, it was. Uh, they've kind of gone from, you know, they fired Roberto Martinez, they appointed Ronald Koeman, Sam Allardyce, Marco Silva, Carlo Ancelotti, Rafa Benitez, and Frank Lampard. I mean, that's a pretty wild run, just in the sense that these are guys who have very little in common. Uh, it, it seems pretty clear that Morshiri just has no concept at all of what he wants this club to be. He just kind of listens to people around him. And, of course, they've gone through a couple of sporting directors in that period. I'm sure he listens to certain agents who, who may or may not have the club's best interests at art. Um, and, and you shouldn't be surprised that after all of that, you've ended up with a squad that's a bit of a hodgepodge. It's not really put together with any kind of particular style in mind. Uh, but uh, but I digress. Marcello Bielsa would have been a strange fit at Everton, but then again, I would have said that at Leeds when he went there as well. But I think the the, the key objection to the Bielsa appointment, listen, is if, if, if Everton during the summer had gone, actually, we're doing a complete reset of this football club, we're bringing in Marcello Bielsa and his sort of team of acolytes, and... Um, and we're just going to give him the keys to the castle and let him do whatever he wants with it. I wouldn't be against that. I think that'd be a groovy thing for Everton to do. But the thing is, it's not in the middle of the summer. It's in the middle of a season, and it's in the middle of a season that's going really badly wrong for Everton. Uh, they're in the bottom two. Relegation is a real possibility. And Bielsa, first of all, has not taken over a club mid-season in his career, as far as I'm aware. And there's a reason for that, because he works in a very particular way. Um, I, I don't think... His sort of very unusual sort of man-man uh, marking way of playing, I think that that that's not something you can just switch on and off. I don't think you can go straight into a group of players who have not played like that before and just do like a couple of training sessions and then off we go. Like that would be a disaster. And he's also not a manager who's going to compromise on his principles at all because he is very, very peculiar like that. So there was a lot of uh, ridicule over this notion that he had supposedly pitched to Everton. I'm going to come in, but I'm just going to look after the under-21s in the second half of the season, and I'm going to take over properly in the summer. Like, what a bizarre idea. But, but actually, I mean... It would be almost more bizarre for him to take over straight away because that wouldn't make any sense with the way Bielsa works, what he demands from the players, uh, fitness-wise, uh, in terms of tactics. Like you can't just suddenly flip a coin and and play Bielsa football. That that would not work. Which again just serves to highlight how how weird it was that they even entertained the notion. I can't imagine anyone who follows the game or takes any serious interest in football thinking that that would be a a sensible idea. But here we are. Um, 
anyway, that wasn't to be. And as much as I would have enjoyed seeing a Bielsa-fied Everton, I think that's probably for the best for the club. I, I can see that becoming very chaotic very fast and not going very well at all. The situation is they're in the bottom two, like I said. And it's not just that they're in the bottom two, but if you look at the teams above them, not necessarily easy to catch up with. You know, with with full employ, I mean, you typically look at the newly promoted teams because there is a bit of a gap between the championship. So are we we're finishing above Bournemouth? Yeah, that, that should be doable. Nottingham Forest have kind of gotten their act together and we're definitely not finishing above Fulham. So we need to find some other teams we can finish above. And we're going to look at the league table later. It's looking a bit scary for Everton. So they need something that can work now. They need someone who can come in and make an immediate impact uh, and, and sort this team out and make this team harder to beat and more difficult to deal with. Enter Sean Dyche. And can I shock you? I think this makes a lot of sense. I am perhaps not uh, known as... I'm not, I'm not the greatest Sean Dyche enjoyer. <laughs> I think that's probably fair to say. But, but I think however flawed the process was ending up with Dyche in this specific situation for Everton. I think that makes sense. I think there is a real, there is a Sean Dyche team in waiting in this squad of Everton players that needs just needs to be uh, moulded into the right shape and sort of unlocked. Let's just look at it for a second. Tactically, we know from his Burnley days, he likes, he likes a 4-4-2, simple instructions to the players, you know, defend deep, and actually, they did this thing, Burnley, for a long time. They did it really well, is that they kind of enticed opponents to shoot from really bad positions. We remember a few seasons ago when they were doing really well, and like the XG models were really confused because they kept conceding a ton of shots, and they were still kind of perfecting the the XG models. The, the whole XG thing was still a little bit in its infancy. And the models didn't sufficiently allow for the fact that actually a shot... If there are, like, three players in the way, then a shot is not, you know, you need to down uh, downgrade the, the, the quality of that shot. Uh, so, so, anyway, the, the, the Burnley system kind of flummoxed the XG models. They get the ball forwards quickly, not, not much sort of passing about in the build-up, just not necessarily get it launched, but, but very directly, and then try to win the challenge, fight for the second ball. And if everyone's fit, I can kind of see this working with Everton, with what they have, the much derided Everton squad. I, I think there is a Sean Dyche team here, uh, if we put the right pieces in the right places. And, and and they have some pretty solid defenders. You know, Connor Cody has maybe made his name playing at back three more so than a back two. Maybe that's a slight concern. But but Tarkovsky, of course, we know, uh, a solid uh, Dyche disciple for many years in Burnley and a defender I kind of like. I'm a little bit surprised it hasn't worked out better for him at Everton so, so far. Both of those players, I think, are happier playing deep than, than further up the pitch. That should suit Deitch. You've got Yerry Mina there, very Deitchian center half. If he can stay fit, he probably can't. So, uh, realistically speaking, because that never seems to work out for him. Uh, but but Michael Keane, of course, excelled for Burnley uh, under Deitch. Maybe he can have some kind of renaissance. So, they've got some, like, battlers at the back. You can imagine that working. Everton don't really have a lot of creativity or like ability to pass the ball in midfield. That seems to be a problem. Not really a problem, though, if your plan is to bypass the midfield entirely. Just whack it over them. Should be fine. Uh, midfielders can't pass? No matter. Like, up in the school. Oof, here we go. Uh, so uh, what you do have is you've got some guys there that can run, who can fight a bit. You know, they're reportedly now, Monday night, they're bidding for Conor Gallagher. 
which seems a bit strange, but it, it's interesting. I, I always saw him more as a 4-3-3 type of midfielder because, you know, he likes to scurry about. He likes to make forward runs in a midfield two. You kind of need the two in the middle to be quite disciplined with their positioning and make sure they don't get, uh, you know, got caught too high up the field. Maybe Dice could be changing formation here. Maybe the Conor Gallagher thing is a sign that he's thinking uh, uh, not just a standard 4-4-2 I mean, this kind of sounds crazy. I'm going a little bit off piece here, but with the sort of energy and the eye for goal that that we know that Conor Gallagher has and the work rate, could you imagine him as almost like a second striker behind Calvert-Lewin? I think he played more as a number 10 when he was at Swansea on loan a couple of years ago. So maybe he's wanting to use him further up the field. I mean, that that would be interesting to see. Anyway, the, the much maligned Everton midfield, you do have some guys there who can run around and kick people. That is something you have, which I think is what you want in a Sean Dyche team, right? So, so you obviously have a hard-working wide player in Dwight McNeil. Dyche is very familiar with him. It is a bit of a shame that uh, the Solomon Rondon Dyche team-up isn't happening, but Poor old Rondon did look like, uh, well, emphasis on old. Unfortunately, he was off the pace so badly that maybe his time had come. So that's that's fair enough. So up front, it is the same story as ever with Everton. And that is if Calvert-Lewin can stay fit and find some form. I mean, I'm sure he would be a fine target man in a Sean Dyer system, right? And, and maybe, this is a bit of a stretch, but maybe this could be Neil Mopay's time to shine, huh? Calvert-Lewin to win the headers angry Neil Mope to sort of assault anyone who even just looks at the ball when it comes down. You know, Neil Mope has his shortcomings as a player, but he's a very aggressive player. I can kind of maybe see that working. Maybe I'm giving you too much of a benefit of the, the doubt here. But it, 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 there is an issue there that unless Calvert-Lewin gets going... You, I think this team is going to be a bit short on goals, and that is a concern. But but let's say it's a 4-4-2 with Cody and Tarkovsky at the back, Patterson, Mikulenko on either fullback, Onana and Gay in midfield, I guess, probably. Um, McNeil on the left, and then probably Iwobi on the right, but possibly Gallagher if he comes in. You can imagine Gallagher on the right side of a 4 out of possession, but then just kind of making runs into the middle when the ball is knocked towards uh, Calvert-Lewin. I, I can see that working. So Calvert-Lewin and Mopay up front maybe could also be the idea that you want Gallagher as a sort of second striker or number 10 or something and have Calvert-Lewin as more of a lone target man. We'll see who ends up coming in the door uh, before the window closes. But the point is, injury permitting... I can see this working, right? Uh, and also, like, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit big picture here as well. You know, you have so many teams trying to press high, trying to play out from the back uh, in the Premier League. If you play this kind of low block defense, direct balls forward when you attack, I think there's a bit of an edge to be had there. You know, we've seen West Ham under David Moyes put up two really good seasons, playing very, very direct in that manner. Not as well, uh, you know. Things not going that well this season, obviously, various reasons for that. Can be a different pod, maybe. But but if you look at the Bundesliga right now, like Union Berlin are second, which is mad to begin with, but they're the second, and they have the second lowest possession numbers in the league. Like they're not like 
passing people off the field. Like they know exactly what they are. They sit quite deep. They they hardly ever press. Uh, they've scored a third of their goals from set pieces. <laughs> they, they're playing in the most un-German style imaginable, and they're second in the uh, second in the Bundesliga because they're winning a lot of headers and again scoring the most set pieces in the league and being very combative and all this stuff. So we can be snobs about this and say like, okay, this isn't the type of football I would necessarily seek out to to watch. But I definitely think you can be successful playing like that. And I think you can punch above your weight a little bit playing like that if you get the organization right, if you have the right characters. Now, I am getting ahead of myself a lot. I'm not necessarily not saying Everton are going to be second in the league anytime soon. Everton need to stay up. But I think they can stay up playing like that. And I have much more belief in that working short term than some other fancier managers going in and, and trying to make this, this fairly limited squad play a style of football that maybe they're not uh, cut out for. So looking at it, so looking at it, they are they are so, so screwed if Calvert-Lewin gets injured again, right? So, so recording this Monday night, I would expect to see them try to bring in a, a tall backup striker of some kind. I think that's something that has to happen because I think with Sean Dyche taking over, you can't go into the second half of the season with just one striker who's vaguely capable in the air. Like you're so so reliant on one player, then that that's that's that doesn't seem good. And the team is a little bit short on goals on paper, but you know, I can I can I can see it working. The thing that would kind of I don't know if worry is the right word. The thing that would concern me a little bit and that I'm thinking about. All the stuff I've just said now, it's very theoretical. Like, it's all on paper. I didn't think he, this player can do that, and this player can do this. You know, this should work. There is a team here, if everyone stays fit, that I think can play Sean Dyche ball, in theory, to a very good standard. In theory, in theory. But there's a man management side of this, and there's a cultural side of this, right? And I don't mean, I don't think Everton fans will necessarily be as hostile to the idea of a slightly sort of direct style of play as they were under Sam Allardyce. I think there's some misunderstandings to do with when Allardyce was there because it wasn't just that they were direct, just they were terrible. Like they, 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 I remember those games. They created almost nothing. They were just meaningless long balls towards... It was so bad towards the end of that season. And also, that was an Everton team that had been sort of vaguely functional in, in recent memory and, and finished top half of the table and, and that sort of thing. So the context was different. This is an Everton team that needs to do something to not get relegated. And we're not going to get into the finances of it on this episode because there's no time. But my God, I think they are very screwed if they get relegated. One to look uh, further into on a, on, a, on a later episode, I think. So I think fans are... I, I can't speak for Everton fans, obviously. I suspect they'll accept it. But there's there's a thing about... Okay, so at Burnley, from from what you understand, based on everything you hear and read, uh, Dyche created a very particular culture at that club. Uh, and his methods, I mean, I guess they're often described as old school. Now, whether they're from a new or old school, I don't really care. But there's a very particular sort of slightly disciplinarian approach to things. And, and there's little things like, you know... For minor disciplinary infractions, they'd have to spin like the 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 wheel of doom, like the fine wheel. And some of the things you could get would be like having to pay for dinner for the squad or like pay a minor fine. There's something really weird of having to do a lap dance. Uh, but one of the things you could get was that the player would have to go and sit in the river for a minute. Like go sit in the river. Like there's a river right next to the training ground up at Burnley. 
and and they if they like forgot to put something away in the canteen or left something on the floor they had to spin the wheel and they risked having to go sit in the river now for some players that kind of stuff is fine they love that but i think that's fair to say that's not for everyone there was a hat and snood ban in training a hat and snood ban like in training no no uh, no, no covering of the head it was there was there was a bit in the athletics piece on him today actually uh, Daesh about how at Burnley the players let, let me quote it they were not permitted to wear headphones hats or hoods walking into turf more at away games they had to remove them before leaving the bus like what is this war on hats all, all about Sean Daesh can I just say as a person who grew up in a pretty cold country and I've lived in an even colder one in, in Finland like retaining body heat is a good thing like it's a useful thing for the human body underdressing uh, for the weather it doesn't it doesn't make you tough like underdressing just means you're a bit of an idiot who don't know how to dress anyway uh, he, he has his ways Sean Dyche and, and and there is a logic to it I suppose because if your team plays in a way that's totally dependent on being aggressive without the ball on, on winning a lot of challenges on both sides of the pitch because you're not going to have the ball a lot you're not going to control the game you need to win the challenges it's more about picking where those challenges happen and uh, it's very very important that you have certain type of characters in the squad and i guess this sort of this sort of pound shop masculinity is like, oh we're too tough to wear hats you know body heat is for sissies you know what kind of beta mentality is that retaining body heat nonsense uh, yeah i can see how that probably i mean it's really irrational and stupid but it probably does appeal to to certain players with a certain mindset i mean i wouldn't be surprised and it surely it worked for burnley uh, for for quite a long time, and and I'm sure it could work for Everton. But the situation they're in right now is that they have the players they have. Like that, there's little money to change things. There's no time at all to change things. Again, we'll see what happens tomorrow. But Dyche has to save Everton's season with the players he has, and this is obviously difficult to know from the outside. So we're not going to talk about individuals, but I think it's a fair bet to say that there's some players in this Everton squad who would not have enjoyed life at Sean Dyche's Burnley. There are a fair few players in the Everton squad who, if you made them go sit in a river, I think they'd be on the phone to their agents later that night telling me to get out of this weird, weird club. Why did I have to go sit in a river? Why can't I wear a hat? It's all very strange. Now, this is a pretty big test for him, I think. Can he go into Everton and, on the one hand, he has to raise standards, he has to demand things from players, you know, they have to work harder, win their 50s, all of this... But he has to also not alienate guys who he's going to need over the next six months, whether he likes them or not. Um, So I have a lot of faith in Daesh's ability to go in and make them better organized and tougher to beat and this sort of thing. And and, and then you're kind of hoping Calvert-Lewin can stay fit and score some goals or maybe they bring in someone tomorrow. But I have to say, I am intrigued to see how Daesh copes with just going into a whole new environment after spending so long at Burnley and having a team where, frankly, it was the same core of players for a lot of that time. And he had a lot of control over who came in. Now he's going to go into a dressing room that's probably pretty low on confidence. Some people who are maybe disgruntled, who don't really want to be there. There are some guys who might be skeptical of him, of his ideas. Some guys who maybe don't conform to his ideas of uh, how a player should should behave and think and all this sort of stuff. Can he go in and, and, and sort them out? I, I, I think that's a really interesting one to follow. But I kind of think they I kind of think he can keep them up. And that kind of raises the next question here, which is if Everton aren't going down, then who are? 
And, and that, that brings us to the betting part of the pod, uh, which is uh, usually the structure of these things. I talk about something for a bit and then I see if there's like some there's a betting angle on it or if before the weekend uh, I, I've got some stuff. Now, if you've heard me on a different pod, yeah, maybe one in particular called Football Weekly or possibly one of my forays into the ramble verse, you may have noticed that I do reference betting odds in the betting markets quite a lot when I talk about football. And that's frankly because I've always felt that the, the betting markets are a pretty good reference for, for expectation for what's likely to happen. It's not as if bookmakers are right all the time, but they're not that wrong that often either. So that's one thing. But the other thing is that like sports betting has always been something I've been kind of interested in. It's always something that I've, uh, has kind of enhanced my enjoyment of following football. So from that perspective, for me, uh, partnering with Betson and creating content for them, as I have done for the last couple of years, that was just a no-brainer. It's something I really enjoyed and something that suits uh, the way I work. All that being said, it is very important to mention, since there's going to be betting content on this podcast, that gambling can be a dangerous thing. And, and gambling addiction is a very real problem. It's a problem that you can develop and that can creep up on you if you're not cautious. There are tools that can help, but the most important thing is that you do gamble responsibly, as they say, and that you only ever gamble with money that you're prepared to lose. I feel like there's more and more like schemes and accounts on social media going, ooh, subscribe here and follow these tips and you will get rich. And this is all very dangerous and most of all nonsense. Like, do not ever look at betting as a way to get rich. That's really stupid. It, it really isn't that. And even if you think and you feel like you're right on top of your betting habit, you should just kind of check regularly, like, what's your balance for the last six months? Just check what your balance is for the last six months or the last year, because losses can kind of creep up on you without you really noticing. Always just kind of keep an eye on that. And if that number ever gets higher than what you're comfortable losing, you, you got to stop and take a break. It's really, really important. And if it's becoming like an addiction to you, to please try to talk to someone about it, whether that's a helpline in the country that you're in or, or a friend or just anyone, because this stuff can be dangerous. And I wanted to talk a little bit seriously about that, because again, there will be gambling content on this podcast, and we should be aware that there are dangers and they, they, they can be serious dangers with that. Now, in this part, I wanted to talk about Everton and, and the relegation odds, because I don't think they're going down. I believe in Dyche, perhaps, I mean historically when I think Everton are going to do something well it tends to go wrong so maybe this is a bad sign maybe I'm bad at reading Everton in general but I'm I'm, I'm a believer in Dyche I believe you know like nature Dyche finds a way uh, so, so looking at uh, Betson's relegation odds for the Premier League here Everton are second favourites to go down uh, alongside Southampton with Bournemouth being the favourites Bournemouth very clear favourites at, at 130 in the uh, I operate in the decimal odds so apologies to all the fractional odds ultras out there it's never really made sense to me it's decimal all the way now uh, Everton and Southampton both sit at 165 but since I think Everton will make it that does mean someone else has to go down. That is how it works. So looking at the next candidates here, you've got Nottingham Forest and Wolves at 350, Leicester City and Leeds at 450, and West Ham at 7. And then Crystal Palace should be safe at 15. Don't see them going. So Bournemouth, I think we all agree, very likely to go down. Uh, the, the numbers, their numbers have been terrible all year. Like the XG has from week one have been clear. Even when they were picking up some results, the numbers were like, no, 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 this is not good. Uh, I really hope Nathan Jones can turn it around at Southampton. I like him. I think he deserves more respect for the job he's done at Luton. I don't like the way he went in at Southampton, lost a few games, and everyone was like, oh, who's this idiot? Like he's done 
done an amazing job at Luton and, and deserves and that sort of thing doing well in the football league is something we should have more respect for uh, in this country I think uh, but you have to say the way things stand it looks more likely than not that they're going down all that being said so the, that raises the question which team out of Nottingham Forest Wolves Leicester and Leeds do we think Everton can overtake and, and your first instinct is kind of to say Forest, just because they were so bad at the beginning, but they've really turned it around now. They've only lost twice in the last 10 in the league, and increasingly seems like they could make it. Uh, Wolves have kind of improved a little bit after Lopetegui took over. Their XG still doesn't look great, but it feels like there's so much individual quality in that squad that they should get better and should be fine. Um, even if the um, you know, empirical sort of evidence of our own eyes isn't quite there yet. I have to admit, and I say this with a heavy heart, I'm starting to get the fear uh, with regards to Leeds and, and coach Jesse Hare. I uh, hope I'm wrong. Let me just stress this. You, you'll hear me say a lot this on the podcast. What I think will happen and what I want to have happen is never the same thing. Very often, at least, not the same thing. Um, I, I enjoy watching Leeds. They're positive and energetic. They have some nice players, but they just keep finding ways of not winning football matches. Uh, recent clean sheets against Brentford and Newcastle were, were good. That seemed like a bit of progress, and Bamford being fit and healthy would be good. Uh, Weston McKenney could come in, add something to that midfield. I just feel like I've seen so many games with them this season where they've just looked really iffy at the back. And there's something about the way they attack. They're always getting the ball forward very, very quickly. They very rarely seem to control the game and pass the ball around. It's very chaotic. It's fun to watch, but it's something like it's a high energy, high press, but low possession or comparatively low possession. It means you have to run around and press all the time. It's very demanding. Um, I'm increasingly worried that if Deich gets Everton sorted, as I think he might do, and then Leeds could come to a sticky end here. So I've got, I think, Leeds to get relegated at 4.5 with bets on. You, you more than quadruple your stake. So is there more than a one out of four chance of Leeds going down? I have to say right now, I feel like that's a, that's more of a, there's more than a 25% chance that, that Leeds go down here. More than one out of four. And then that odds uh, should, should be interesting, logically. So very much hope I'm wrong, but I'm, I, I think, I think Daesh will figure it out. And if he does, someone has to go. And out of the ones just above the drop zone, I worry a little bit about Leeds. Anyway, this was the inaugural episode of the Lars Resort. Listen to this. We have outro music, I say. I mean, I hope we have outro music because I haven't. That'll be added in the edit. Hopefully you're hearing a very nice outro music. Um, I don't have a soundbar. I do have a little box here that makes noise. That's it. Yeah, see? Can make applause. Can make an applause sound. Should maybe use this box. Has some... Should I use this box more? It's got, uh, it's got a fart noise on here. That 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 was not... That was a, that was a burp, I think. Oh, yeah, there we go. Fart noise. Isn't that funny? Yeah. This is, this is great. I'm, I'm gonna be using, I'll be using this all the time. It's, it's too long, does it? Yes. How about the box? No. Yeah, how about the box? I probably put that away. I don't think the box is gonna be regular. Still, you know, that's the thing about doing a one-man podcast. You can just kind of decide as you go along what you feel works and what doesn't. Anyway, this was the first episode of The Last Resort. Thanks for hanging out with me in the resort. It's a bit partridge. I think we're gonna. I think that's what we're gonna do. Uh, next episode will be later this week, probably talking about transfers. I guess. See you then.